part of our whole vision is that real estate is a lifetime journey, right? And you do progress through these stages like you're talking about. Um, and so if we can be that partner throughout that journey, then that's where you can actually build. Are you suffering from data loss? Wondering if all of those years of data that you've locked away in your property management software will ever be yours? Do you really own it? Can you transport it and take it somewhere else? Great question. My name's Jordan Wayla, and I'm here to talk to you about a paradigm where you actually own your data. Novel concept, huh? Not really. But for some reason in this industry, there's a paradigm where you don't actually own your own data. And I'm here to tell you, it ain't right. It's got to stop. And we're going to do something about it. Here at Lead Simple, we fundamentally believe that your data is yours. It should be portable. You should be able to push, pull, mutate, do whatever you need to it and make it serve you because you own it and it is yours. So if you believe in a future with an open paradigm, a future where you're able to push, pull and do whatever you need in real time when you need it, then join me and pushing back, having the conversation and planting a flag in the ground and saying, it's mine. I deserve it. Don't act like you're going to give me permission to get it when you see fit under such and such a billing arrangement. It was always yours. It will be yours. And you're going to get it back. And we're going to help. Build a brand. You can actually build a connection. I don't throw darts at a board. I bet on sure things. Lee Sun Tzu, The Art of War. Every battle is won before it's ever fought. Think about it. Hey guys, I just recorded an episode with Chuck Hadamer of Poplar based out of California and a couple of different states. They're doing interesting things and uh, it's a tech company that has some seasoning now under their belt. So it's some interesting reflections on his journey, his lessons, his takeaways, being in this space and trying to do something great. I think you're going to enjoy it. Welcome to another episode of the Profitable Property Management Podcast. Today I have Chuck Hadamer with Poplar on Chuck, thanks for coming on. Yeah, thank you, Jordan. Thanks for having me. Yeah, hey, man, it's always a pleasure to chat with you. It's been a while. We did a podcast maybe three or four years ago, something like that. So I wanted to um, reconnect and see what's going on with you guys. For those that don't know, tell us a little bit about the company. Yeah, so uh, Poplar Homes, we're a technology-enabled property management company. We service about seven different states, 13 metro areas all across the U.S., uh, we manage, you know, mostly single family rentals, small multifamily. Um, we're at right now, as of this recording, about 7,500 doors under management. Um, and yeah, we, we started the company in uh, 2014. Uh, myself and my partners started it originally in student housing. We kind of were handed this portfolio of uh, properties uh right around our university but all all three of us uh myself greg and rico had a terrible off-campus housing experience it was sort of a top of mind issue for all of our peers and um we saw the opportunity to kind of bring a full service model into the general market so we expanded out from there and 
Yeah, never looked back since. So, Chuck, one of the reasons I'm interested to talk to you now is that there's been this gap of a couple years that I assume has given you some seasoning. Mm -hmm. And in the play and the category that you're in, for any companies that raise money, there's always one of the questions of, will they still be around? And as time goes on, there's maturity, there's clarity around the stability. What was actually viable? Like what had the fundamentals right and what didn't? And we've seen some stuff come and go that's no longer here. I've interviewed people that are no longer in business. Mm -hmm. So one of my questions for you is what's happened in the last three years, let's say, what are your reflections? What got clear in the last three years that wasn't uh, obvious prior to that point. It may have been aspirational, but wasn't quite proven prior to that point. Yeah. You know, I think the, I mean, the past three years in particular have been, um, quite crazy because of the pandemic and everything. Um, I think that the first thing that became obviously clear to us was that there is this demand for, um, you know, remote, uh, kind of property management where, you can manage your property from anywhere. You can invest in anywhere and not have to go be there physically. Um, and the role that technology plays in, in helping enable that has been has become clear to everyone. You're talking about, you know, self self tours and self showings for renters to go visit properties, um, you know, uh, remote like uh, maintenance teams that can answer calls and, and handle issues without always having to go out and be there in person. Um, and people wanting that kind of digitally native experience um, that that became very clear to us. And we were, you know, before three years ago, there was, I think, a lot more skepticism around this concept of you could manage property anywhere um, without having a local office brick and mortar in that market. Um, and now even the brick and mortar property managers, a lot of them are spending some of their weeks working from home. Um, and working remotely. So I think people have come around to that idea that, hey, maybe it's possible to um, actually expand where you can service without having to open up all these all these uh, these shops everywhere. Um, kind of in the same way that banking went through that transformation. You know, it used to be uh, that banks, one of their key metrics was how many branches they had open. Um, and every time they open new branches, they throw big celebrations. And then they people kind of said, Hey, I don't, as online banking became more accessible from your, your computer or your phone, they didn't need that. Um, and so same thing is happening in real estate. Now real estate is always a laggard industry. Um, so we knew that it would take time, but the last three years have really accelerated that and the demand for that kind of service. Um, people are a lot more open to now. One of the questions I have for you, Chuck is what's been harder than you thought about doing what you're doing? What have been some some challenges that have just had more depth, more complexity, more failure mm-hmm. surface area than you initially thought or you, you might think from the outside? Yeah, you know, <clears throat> we came into this business with a lot of naivete. We um, were- Everybody does, students. right? <laughs> yeah. So we, we kinda, and, and we all come from sort of a technology background. So we, we assumed too much that we could automate things and, you know, and do away with having uh, too many manual steps in the property management business. And so that was, you know, a challenge early on because um, we were trying to move quickly and add a lot of doors to our portfolio, um, but also simultaneously thinking we could, 
you know, automate and, and scale without having to add too many people. Um, but what we found is, you know, there is like, it takes a while to build technology, first of all, especially in property management, where some of the tasks and behaviors of your customers and residents um, are very sensitive and require a human touch. And so um, it was challenging at first because we scaled up a big team here in the US. Um, we're building the technology, building it, but it just wasn't giving us that kind of leverage that we were expecting. Um, the, t the technology wasn't giving us the human leverage that we were expecting. So we sort of had to, you know, scramble a little bit and figure out, hey, okay, let's be more realistic. This technology is going to take more time to build. And it's okay if we have the, the human part, um, you know, operating the business and running these things that could otherwise be automated. But maybe there's a, a more efficient way to actually uh, have this labor and this labor structure. And that's when we actually decided to go offshore. Um, and we have an incredible team offshore that really helped us define what is now being turned into technology and mm, automation. Mm, um, mm. And those people were, mm -hmm. you know, helping us with uh, running the business there. Don't miss that, folks. That was a big one. Man, Chuck, I think you dropped uh, some serious insight there. Order of operations. Yep. You start with the tech. You start with the people. I believe you start with understanding. Yep. And you get the understanding by having your head beat in. Mm -hmm. And the best way to have your head beat in is to be up front with the customer doing something that's fundamentally not scalable mm -hmm. to get the context necessary to understand how you could do the tech to then scale it. Cause what is technology? It's like, it's like pouring concrete, mm -hmm. you know, it's heavy, it's expensive. It's hard to move. Refactoring is excruciating. So you don't pour concrete casually mm -hmm. like impromptu to figure things out. You pour concrete when you are damn well sure this is where the concrete was supposed to be poured. Tell me more about that. Talk about what that, what that iterative cycle has looked like for you guys. Yeah. So, um, you know, we basically looked at the business and said, okay, what are the pieces that our team has been doing and, and sort of the process has settled in a way that, um, when we're doing it manually with people that, um, it's repeatable, it's having good results with customers and residents they are satisfied with the experience. And we're doing it over and over and over. And those processes, for example, um, you know, something like showings and the leasing part of our business, you know, placing a tenant in a property, that was something that was uh, the process of human power was very repeat repetitive. And we figured, okay, this is working with humans. And so now let's just basically take what they're doing and let's see if we can build technology to remove all that the minutia work that they're doing so they can focus on more strategic stuff and actually automate um, the process. So we launched something like uh, self tours where actually on our platform now, any renter rather than calling up a listing and being on hold, waiting to get an appointment for a showing or sending an email, um, you can actually log on, you take a picture of your ID, verify your identity, you get a code, you go in the property. While you're in the property, you're getting automated messaging saying, hey, do you have any questions, any feedback? And this was all stuff that was previously done manually with mm -hmm. the team. Mm -hmm. um, and now it's basically sort of a chat bot and an integrated 
self-tour system in our platform. Um, and then, of course, if there are questions or issues that come up that the tech can't answer, we've got a team waiting uh, behind the lines to take those. So that was a, a great example of sort of this is something that was happening all the time. It was working without too much issue. And we decided, hey, now is the time we can actually uh, automate this. Love that. Satisfying answer. I want to hear more about fraud related to that. I'm sure you had to deal with that. But before we dive into that, I'd like to talk about the relationship between edge cases and asset classes. Mm-hmm. When you try to do something at scale, when it's like for like, or the more like for like it is, the easier that it is, the more uh, homogenous that the tasks are, the lower the bar. When you're trying to manage across five different asset classes in 20 different states, it gets harder. These edge cases become ex- can become excruciating, especially when you're trying to solve everything universally with tech. What have you learned? What's the 80-20 in relation to edge cases and how has it informed what states you operate in, what asset classes, where have you got into things where you've chosen to back off later? What's been your journey through that? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> yeah, so that's you know, you see a lot of the the big REITs uh, in the U.S., like American Homes for Rent, Invitation Homes, you know, they're getting to build to rent um, to sort of standardize the assets that they're working with and remove that that uh, variability in the properties. Um, and so, you know, for us, we the first thing is that we've found our niche of, hey, we know that we're not dealing with super high end properties. Um, and we're also not dealing with, you know, the super low end class C class D kind of real estate. So we've found this sort of class B and the, the smaller half of class a, not super class a plus kind of stuff. Um, so typically our average rent sits right around just under the market averages in each city. Um, and we're not, and we're looking at markets, states, cities where, these are the top 20 metros. Um, it's a pretty, you know, standard set of assets in that city. It's not um, vacation rentals or mm-hmm. uh, uh, commercial or any any kind of hybrid of either. So, um, yeah, I think like that, that was something that was always sort of clear from the beginning for us. Um, you always had kind of a disciplined thesis around that. Yeah. Like we, we never really, I guess one thing that we experimented with was multifamily and getting into larger complexes and buildings with onsite managers. When yeah. With onsite management. And that was definitely a learning curve for us. We like, there's a huge step up from the customer expectations and the operational demands of a larger complex. Um, so we did test that out and it, it definitely beat us in a little bit. And, um, it also forced us to improve a lot of our systems, especially around, uh, financial reporting for customers, you know, with multi-unit properties, you got to do budgeting forecasts, you've got the Mm onsite management piece, Mm -hmm. maintenance. So that was, um, an asset class that we dipped our toes into. We pull now we've pulled back from, and we've said, Hey, okay, let's set a hard standard basically 20 units or less um, in one building. Anything above that is going to be a lot more demanding. In California, you got 16 units or more you need an on-site manager. So, um, yeah, I would say that's sort of 
where we've where we've uh, standardized. And there have been other things like, you know, instead of uh, when when we first got into this SFR single family stuff, we uh, one of the things that we aspired to have was, you know, smart locks on every property, right, to allow ease of access. But when you're working in markets like San Francisco, where you've got a gate and a walk up and, you know, versus, you know, you're down in San Jose and you've got a single family home, every door is different that we realized that would not be that would not work because we were dealing with variable assets. We're not building our own property. These are independent owners who have one to five units. Um, so we said, OK, let's like let's take a step back and think. Instead of smart locks, we went to lock boxes. Um, so just it was just identifying those things that uh, we could bring some level of standardization to an unstandard portfolio, mm-hmm. a non-standard portfolio. Um, and those are big wins. Yeah, that's that, it. Took a while to learn that, but that's where we are now. So what you communicated was that you were maybe a little fast with some tech and then you had to go revert to doing some unscalable things with people. And now you're coming back to tech. What, what version are you on with the internal technology that you have built? How many cycles do you think have you guys been through? Uh, yeah. So I'd say we're on, you know, version 3.0 basically at this point. Um, and now our product development cycle is, is, at its fastest pace ever because we have all these learnings of doing stuff manually over the past few years. Um, and it might mean that some of our platform is not as developed as, you know, a pure software play. Um, but we believe that with the operational understanding that we've had, that we can actually build a, the version that will work quicker um, with fewer like learn learning iterations because all the iterations were done with people. Um, mm-hmm. And so, yeah, so now we're on that like version 3.0, we've got, you know, full financial reporting dashboard for owners, uh, leasing activity tracker, um, resident, you know, residents, their maintenance system and uh, rental payment system. Is the trust accounting software being done in there? Yeah. So we use a property management accounting software. We're not Got building it. our own Got it. software. Tell me more about that. I feel like there's, that's like a, a kind of a bright line of, of a no man's land where if you go over that, you got yeah. to do so with a huge amount of conviction. How did you think about that bright line? Oh, we like, we didn't want to reinvent the wheel. Like, uh, we, you know, our business was not in property management accounting system. Like um, a good analogy, uh, the way to put it is like, we weren't building a, a product for the taxi driver, right? We're like Uber didn't build a product for the taxi driver. They built a product that is directly for the rider and driver. Right. Um, and that's kind of how we think about it as well. Like we abstract away all of the backend stuff for the property owner and renter. Um, and that's where we focus our development of our technology. We, if in the backend, we, use off the shelf tools for many different parts of the business um, because that's not where we think the innovation is. We think the innovation is in that front facing user experience, what they're interacting with. Um, One of the examples is like, uh, you know, tenant screening. Like uh, one of the things that we've done is, you know, the tenant experience for 
applying Dart properties, first of all, it's a free application. They go in, they and all the uh, application experiences on our dashboard. It says Poplar on it. Um, and they can actually verify their income income by logging into their bank account, you, like using their online bank credentials and logging in. And in the back end, we connect with the credit bureaus and um, we use Plaid for the bank uh, account connection. So we're not building all that stuff ourselves directly, but to the user, it's a much more seamless experience. Whether they're self-employed or a contractor, or they just got a new job, it accommodates all different types of uh, renters. And that's where the innovation is. It's not in, you know, uh, pulling credit or figuring out a way to Mm -hmm. read documents. um, OCR. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. There's increasingly common sentiment amongst really tech forward players where the agenda is to do as little as possible in the trust accounting software. Rather than being retail and using the full full suite, do the trust accounting there. The mm-hmm. core thing it was built for, do other things elsewhere and do those other things in a place where you control the system of record. Mm-hmm. When you think about data, the leverage, the importance, you know, there's so much that can be said about data and it can be overhyped and what do people are actually doing. We talk about machine learning, AI, a lot of hype. For you guys, what is the practical utility that you've seen in controlling the system of record and and um, having that data at your fingertips? Yeah, so, you know, uh, again, all of the all of the um, accounting systems is is off the shelf. Um, and then we also use off-the-shelf CRMs as well as our backend for the what our service team is interacting with. Um, and, you know, we've, like, when it comes to system of record and data, like, I guess the main system of record for us is a backend CRM and all of that data is flowing in there. So it's basically when a, a service person is interacting with a customer or trying to accomplish a task, Right, the whole history of that tenant or owner, all the communications centralized in one place. When someone calls in, you know, the system automatically identifies as if this person is a current customer or resident. It skips the menus and IVRs. It goes straight to their assigned representative. Mm-hmm. They get a screen pop that has all the information they need to deal with that customer service uh, issue. Um, and so I don't know if I'm answering your question. Like, so part of the question was just it was just the push and pull. Yeah. When I say own, I don't mean that you, that you built all the tech, but the ability yeah. to see your data in the format that you need and yeah. push and pull accordingly. That that's the leverage that I'm referencing, and it sounds like you guys are taking advantage of that. Yeah, yeah. So we don't like the benefit of working with these the off the shelf thing is that you can actually iterate very quickly on how that how you push and pull that data without having to actually build the database itself, mm-hmm. so to speak. So, um, you know, rather than having to build the UI mm-hmm. that our team is looking at, mm-hmm. uh, which if you do that, what happens is like, if you need to make a change or it's not right, you need to like go and actually change that, the back end of that UI. Um, what we can do is actually just, you know, drag and drop, uh, because we're using an off-the-shelf UI, but the data inside and how we format it is where we customize it and where we innovate in. 
Makes sense. Sounds like some hard clot, hard fought clarity that you're articulating there. Yeah. Talk to me a little bit about the resident experience. Talk about as a renter in the Poplar ecosystem over a long enough renting cycle, I could go from my first home as a, as a college student, my first home is unmarried, my first home with, with, you know, kids in a backyard. There is a potential for the depth of connection with the brand over an extended period of time. It's kind of unique in that way. There's something special about that. What is the experience that Poplar hopes to offer to entice and motivate people to keep coming back as opposed to just viewing it as a transactional you know, who's popular. It's really just about the home. Cause mm-hmm. for, in many cases there is no connection with the management company. It really is the, the, the connection is purely by virtue of the fact that they happen to manage the house that I wanted to live in. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's no secret that, you know, like someone uh, mentioned at, at the recent conference is, you know, you don't wake up in the morning and say, Oh, I'm so thankful. My lights turned on the elevator worked all this, all these things. Right. So um, we've, we've, been lightly getting more involved with that resident experience where we think residents will actually care about it. So our, you know, part of our whole vision is that real estate is a lifetime journey, right? And you do progress through these stages like you're talking about. Um, And so if we can be that partner throughout that journey, then that's where you can actually build a brand. You can actually build a connection. Um, So, one of the the first ways that we're doing that is actually helping accelerate home ownership for residents and doing this by offering a program where a percentage of the rent, about 20% of their rent payment each month gets added to this credit. We call it street cred. And you earn your street cred through Poplar, uh, paying your rent on time. And as that credit builds, um, you it, it it can be redeemed as cash back towards closing costs when you go to buy a home with us in the future. So really helping accelerate that next step of homeownership. And we have residents getting, you know, eight, 10, $12,000 checks um, after closing um, when they use us as a buyer's agent to buy their first house. That is really cool, man. Wow. And that's, and and we think that's sort of the same thing can be applied to the owner experience, right. And um, helping, A lot of our customers, 70% of them have never used a property manager before. A lot Mm. of them are accidental Mm. owners um, and they're looking to expand their portfolio and become more of a real estate investor. So we think about this journey of renting, home ownership, ultimately real estate investing Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and all of this, a new generation is entering this journey. Um, And this, this is the generation that has grown up with managing their stocks on Robinhood, Mm -hmm. right? And we believe in a future where you can manage your real estate experience just like you manage your stock portfolio. Let's talk about positioning category value prop segmentation. You just mentioned talking about that the vast majority of your owners are accidentals. They're not intentional investors. Is that accurate? Yeah. Or first time. For first time, they're newer, they're getting into it. So there's always this question of how much pull or influence can you have to take somebody who unintentionally became a landlord to, to turn that person from that to somebody that chooses to do so intentionally by buying a second home, for example. So do you meet people where they're at? Do you pull them along the journey? What's been the ongoing uh, transition and process to what, what's been the, I'm screwing up the question. Let me ask this again. Mm-hmm. Thank God for editing. <laughs> Should I look at this camera or not? No, no, you look at me. What's been the ongoing metamorphosis 
of the positioning and the way that you've related to the market. I've seen some of your branding. It's been it's been strong. It's been interesting. I've seen some investor focused stuff. What what's the the ICP and how has that evolved over time? Yeah. So you know our so I'd like to clarify that I don't think our owners are they're sort of accident. They're like in between an accidental and intentional where they're a lot of them are moving out of their primary residence and you know these owners have the flexibility to be able to turn their property into a rental. Um, and they, they want to get into that and they want to become a real estate investor. So when we talk to our customers, a lot of them want to actually grow their portfolio and expand where they're investing. They're coming to us asking, where is the next market that I should invest in? Um, and so our ideal customer is, someone who has, you know, a small portfolio, one to five units, average customer of ours has two properties. Um, and they're actively looking to expand that. Um, and, um, but a lot of them are in their careers, their families retired, and they don't want to be spending the time on the day-to-day management. So when we started, we, we had a lot more of these like individual one-off, uh, owners, and we really, we did put a lot of focus on like the resident branding and, and the renter facing experience. Cause understand, like understanding that, uh, you know, happy tenant is a happy owner. Um, and we've always wanted to connect the two. Like we, we hate the terms landlord and tenant, you know, those mm-hmm. come from the feudal system. Right. So we, we've always wanted to do away with that. And, um, we've always attracted property owners who I think understand that and value that and want long-term renters. Um, and yeah, and they're, they typically are a little bit younger. They're, they're, um, they're not like your DIYers who have been doing their own management for, you know, decades. Um, a lot of them are looking for that kind of digitally native experience, the, the tech enabled experience. Um, so, and these are the people that we call them savvy investor, like our customer persona is like savvy investor, Steve. And these are folks that want to be savvier about how they're investing their money. They want to find, uh, what are the tools and tips I can use to actually expand my portfolio. And Mm. one of those things is outsourcing the management. Mm. Take it. Chuck, what's one piece of advice that you could have given yourself at the outset of this journey? <laughs> uh, you know, I think like to your last question, I think it was, we came from the renter experience first. Like that's our origin story is we started as renters with a terrible housing experience. And so a lot of the way that we thought about things, we did think about it the renter first because that was the the side of the market that had the most pain um but and i think we were a little bit aspirational about how much we could get renters to care about property management um so my advice would be you know make clear that the owner is your primary customer um and you know really dive into that part of the the brand building and experience first and foremost. Um, not to mention that I, I do think it's valuable that we've differentiated ourselves with a great renter and resident experience. 
Um, but maybe focus on that earlier and faster would be my advice. And what's one thing that you, if you could wave a magic wand, what's one thing you would make different about the industry of property management? <laughs> uh, make everyone love property managers. <laughs> <laughs> Bit of a softball there. My oh, man. Yeah, I, I, that was a good one. We'll, we'll leave it there. Chuck, appreciate you coming on. It's a pleasure as always. And we're going to keep following the, the journey that you're on with Poplar. Awesome. Thank you, Jordan. Appreciate it. Jordan here asking you, what do you got? What is a question you want to ask me? Can you stump me? Can you throw me something hard, perplexing, vexing, something you feel tied up in knots with? Throw it at me. I'll do my best to try and answer that question, to dissect it, to parse out the nuance and maybe help you get a bit more clarity. I'm looking for questions as the basis for creating content and you're looking for answers as the basis for clarity and wouldn't it be perfect if those two things matched up? Drop a comment, send me, send me an email, jordan at leadsimple.com. Let's stay in the conversation. Peace.